This sermon by Terry Virgo is the third of a three-part series on grace, given at the Vineyard UK Leaders Conference in January 2007. Thank you. It's been a great joy for us to be here, and I appreciate the very warm fellowship and the sense of God's presence with us. Uh, if you have your Bible, you might like to turn to Hebrews and chapter 9. Hebrews and chapter 9. Reading a few verses from verse 11, from again the NASB, just varies here and there. Hebrews 9:11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works? I know the NIV says works that lead to death. That's adding quite a bit. Those verbs are not in, they're at all dead works, okay. Dead works to serve the living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your beautiful presence with us, the amazing grace we've been singing about, the wonder of your infinite mercy. Thank you, God. You've not left us as orphans. You've come to us. Holy Spirit, once again, we welcome you. We truly honor your presence. We acknowledge our complete indebtedness and dependence upon you, Lord. And Father, we do pray for one another right now. Holy Spirit, help me to speak. Help us to hear. Please build us up in our most holy faith. So let's go from this time, we pray, fortified for the battle, strengthened in our confidence in you, clearer about the issues. Lord, in every way, would you bless us? Lord, Holy Spirit, be to us a spirit of revelation, we pray. Do us good for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we've been trying to emphasize the place of grace, and uh, in these three sessions, we can look at some, not all of all, uh, the wonderful, wonderful truths of grace that run right through the scriptures, but we've emphasized particularly our thorough acceptance on the basis of grace. And that that has phenomenal uh, repercussions, namely that I'm no longer under the law. The whole of that whole uh, approach to earning God's favor is completely behind us. Grace has replaced that completely. We are acceptable. So the apostle, in dealing with this issue, went on to say, well, what about, what about law then? And then he answered that in Romans 7. I think there's one other issue that we've sometimes just touched on, but I want to deal with this morning. If God accepts me freely... Do I have to serve him? The first question we asked yesterday was, well, shall we carry on sinning? And we saw the answer to that, very clear. And now I want to ask, well, if God accepts me anyway, do I have to serve him? Do I have to do anything? Can I just coast happily through the Christian life, uh, have a joyful time? Well, because God's accepted me, and that's the end of it. I can float into glory uh, with great peace and joy. And so here I want to look at this passage which says, The blood of Jesus cleanses our hearts from dead works. 
Now, most of us in the kind of Christianity we experience would think, well, dead works have to do with kind of external religion, things we gave up long ago. Uh, really, as evangelical Christians, as vineyard, we're not into externalism at all. Uh, we're not into anything that uh, you could call a dead work. But I want us to be a little bit more self-critical and say, right, what are, even, even as a born-again believer, are there dangers that I could drift into something that hasn't got life in it. What is a dead work? It's a, it's a work that does not have life in it. And there are many Bible illustrations that will, I hope, open up what I'm trying to say to you. For instance, a work that is without faith, I want to suggest to you, is a dead work. A work that doesn't have expectation wrapped around it. That we don't come with the sense, what will God do? We have a, a sense of, in our hearts, we're, we're, we're coming into what God has for us. And even some of us who are in kind of new movements, uh, you know, we mustn't kid ourselves that we don't gradually drift into the danger of routine. I mean, what was your expectation coming here to this conference? What, did you, what were you reaching for? What, you, what were you hoping for? Did you come with faith or did you come, well, it's in the diary, it always happens in January. That's what we do in January. We go to the conference. And that can very easily kind of creep in. I want to suggest to you that, that although around the, church, around the nation now there are many churches that you, you can see dying, sadly. Buildings that used to be churches, they're now museums and schools and shops, mosques even. You can see them everywhere. What were churches? And churches, they don't close overnight. It doesn't suddenly happen. It was alive one day, and the next day, it's gone. No, no, I want to suggest to you that that death kind of creeps in. We had a little young tree in our garden once, and sadly began to see at its tips, hey, there's something happening there. And uh, I'm totally hopeless with gardening, you know, just mow the lawns about as far as I can get. And sadly, gradually, the death kind of crept in, and that was it. I want to suggest to you that, that death can creep in as we begin to go from vibrant expectation to gradual routine, going through the motions. And so we can serve God with dead works. And here the passage is saying that the blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience from dead works. Hebrews chapter 6 refers to repenting from dead works. We don't want to get into them. When we just do stuff out of the routine. A young woman in my church said that she, she asked her mother once, uh, Mum, why is it when we, you cook the, the Sunday roast, why is it that you, you cut off the two ends of the, of the joint and put, put them on the top? Why do you do that every Sunday? And she said, do you know, darling? She said, I really don't know. She said, Grandma did it before me. She said, I've always done it. I, I, I've always supposed... It lets the juices of the meat flow. I'm not quite sure why we do it, but, you know, it's obviously a good thing to do. But she said, Grandma's coming next week. Ask her. So next week, Grandma came. She said, Grandma, why is it when we cook the roast that you cut the two ends off and put the meat on the top? Why do you do that? And she said, do you still do that? She said, yes, but why do we? She said, I used to do it because my oven was so small, it was the only way I could get the meat <laughs> The reason for doing it has long since gone. 
Why do we still do it? Oh, we always do it. And you know, as I say, even as comparatively young movements, we have to say, is that still something God wants us to do? I was profoundly shocked when God said to us in New Frontiers, it's time to close Stonely. I thought, close Stonely? That's our flagship. And God made it so clear, time to move on. I mean, only God can say what's a dead work. For us, it looked pretty lively. But we need to be very careful. What are we doing? Are we, are we in touch with God? I want to suggest to you something that's not done with faith. And let me encourage you. I've heard such wonderful stories here. People moving out, reaching across. And certainly we don't sound as though we're in this problem. But let's just be alert to it. The danger of doing stuff because we've always done it. We've just got into this routine now. Now, faith is so fundamental to who we are. So, yes, works without faith. Or perhaps let's put it this way. Works without hope. I'm not saying that every time you come to a meeting, I really believe five people will be converted this Sunday. Now, I know sometimes people reach for that. And I've been hearing a number of testimonies lately. People who prayed, I'm just believing for five this week. That sort of thing. Well, that's remarkable. But sometimes it's a bit like Jonathan and his armor bearer. Do you remember that wonderful story in the Old Testament when Jonathan said to his armor bearer, let's go against those uncircumcised fellows. That's maybe the Lord. Maybe the Lord. It's perhaps, I think is in some of the translations. You take your perhaps into the battle. It's like a a work of hope. At least it's a work of hope. It's not the routine. It may not be kind of, I know they will fall. Jonathan said, well, I know what God is like. I know what God's overall purpose is. Let's go and see. There's that awareness of God. Without faith or without hope, what is the work we're doing? Let me suggest, too, another, another dead work is a presumptuous work. What do I mean by that? Well, perhaps one of the outstanding examples in the Bible is when Joshua and the army obediently walk around Jericho repeatedly until comes that amazing moment when they shout and the walls fall and by faith the walls of Jericho fell down and they went in. Wow. They took that great city and then Joshua says afterwards, hey, someone go and look and see what the next town is. And some guys go down, they come back and say, it's very small. It's very small. And so Joshua says, oh, some guys go down. And they move from great dependence on God looking up at this Jericho oh God, oh God for seven days and then now Lord and they move from thorough complete dependence on God to oh we can handle this in one easy step we can handle this and it goes from faith and dependence to presumption we can do it I want to suggest to you that became a very dead work as they ran away from AI You remember the story. There were all kinds of problems, actually. But they were out of step. It was suddenly, it wasn't a living thing. It was a dead work. Also, I would suggest that sometimes works that we get into that don't have their origin in God. We just do them. We can get, if we're not careful, into a kind of activity uh, ethos and just do stuff. Or even like Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. This is late in the story. And it says he worked all night and caught nothing. He wasn't sent. God didn't send him. We can do that sort of thing. We can get into stuff that God didn't send us into. When I was pastoring in the first church that Wendy and I were involved in as a young couple, and uh, it wasn't far from my hometown. 
and, uh, of Brighton, where I was raised, and uh, about 20 miles away. And, and a word got through to me from the school saying, we understand you're now a minister. We need uh, someone to take a curriculum for RE. Would you come and give us one day a week in the grammar school I went to in Brighton? And you can set the curriculum. This is going back years, I guess when things were a little freer. And uh, it's going to become a sixth-form college soon, and uh, perhaps you could help and be involved in that transition and stuff. I thought, wow, what an opening. Because I was converted at 16 and was a terrible Christian for several years. I mean, awful. And so I was very ashamed of my testimony at school. And, but, but now maybe I could redeem it. Maybe I could do some good in that school. And uh, I thought, thank you, Lord, what an opening. And I was getting so excited, and, and I'm praying about it and thanking God. And it's one of those times when you think, you know, you're thanking God, and it seems like heaven isn't as excited as you are. You know, you think, yeah, hallelujah. Huh? And, and after a while, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, you know, about the school? Huh? And... Uh, I gradually, it's not that you, you don't want me to do that, is it? And I felt very clearly God said to me, did I call you to do that? Is that what I wanted you to do? But Lord, it's such an open door. Did I want you in there? It was so hard to believe that it wasn't something God wanted me to do. And I had to really come to terms with it and ask a friend of mine who was an evangelist with Youth for Christ, working in Brighton, I said, would you follow this through? I don't think God's giving me permission to do it. And uh, others had to get on with that. Sometimes, dear friends, we get into stuff. We find ourselves doing this and then this and then this. And sometimes you can think, well, someone's got to do it. It's such an open door. If you're not careful, you can get to the place where, what do you expect is going to happen? Uh, what do you mean, what's going to happen? Well, what you're going through, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I don't know. Someone's got to go. It's a door. Let's go through it. I want to suggest to you, if you get enough of those things on enough shelves in your life, filling enough areas, there comes a kind of a Christian activity blur. What am I actually trying to do? What am I supposed to be doing? It couldn't look very busy. But I want to suggest to you, it can be a dead work if God never sent you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, as the next type, he's gradually going through a few types here, Without faith, without hope, presumptuous works, works not from God. Fifth one would be works, I would say, not motivated by love. We're all familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul goes through a scary list, which says you can have faith to remove mountains. And if it's without love, it's nothing. It's nothing. You can speak in tongues, you can prophesy, you can understand mysteries, you can give away all your money and it's nothing. It profits you nothing. That is amazing. If it's without love, God's not interested. You just wasted your time. And so externalism or just routine can gradually kill you. It's a dead work. I don't, I don't mean kill you ultimately, but I mean take away the joy of your salvation. And you can wake up one morning and think, what am I doing this stuff for? And have a terrible sinkhole and find that people you thought, I thought they were really with us. And they just suddenly think, oh, I've had enough of this. And they're more excited by the soap. What's going to happen next week in EastEnders? 
Because actually they've lost, they've lost the, the busyness didn't, the, somehow things are not engaging. You're just busy. It's without love. Maybe very busy, but without love. You notice the difference in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul is celebrating this, what seems a magnificent young church. He talks about your work of faith, your labor of love, the steadfastness of your hope. Those three phrases come in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Interesting, three very similar phrases come in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus writes to the church at Ephesus. To the church at Ephesus, he says this, I know your labor, I know your work, I know your steadfastness. Same, exactly the same three words, but in 1 Thessalonians, it's your labor of love. It's your work of faith. It's the steadfastness of your hope. Now, the Ephesian letter, I know your labor, I know your work, I know your steadfastness. But, he says, I have this against you. You've lost the love you had at first. And so you can look externally impressive, but lose the heart. Now, it's so serious that Jesus says, I'm standing outside. He said a similar thing to the Laodiceans. You're standing outside the Laodicean church. But he said to the Ephesian church and the Laodicean church, I want you essentially to come back to me, come back to the love you had at first, come back to the first works. Otherwise, he said, I will remove your lampstand. You say, oh, the devil's closing all these churches. I'm not sure from the Bible the devil's got much permission to close churches. Jesus says, I'll close them if you lose the love you had at first. I'll take away the lampstand. Now, I dare say you could be pastor in a church for another year or two after the lampstand's gone. I don't particularly want to be a pastor in a church where the lampstand's gone. I don't suppose it closes next week. Next week, a sign outside, lampstand went last week. (laughs) But it's a biblical principle. It's like God said to Saul... King Saul in the Old Testament, today the kingdom is taken from you. Does that mean he wasn't king the next day? No, he swished into the palace, he sat on the throne for a few years after that. But from God's perspective, I've taken away the kingdom from you. And David's going to be raised up. I guess it's like that. I take the lampstand away where we can still come together, but where's the Lord? Or don't we notice the Lord's not there? So I find this whole passage about repenting, or at least my conscience being cleansed from dead works, is a very important thing in the context of grace. Grace says, I'm acceptable. I'm acceptable through the shed blood of Jesus. Now what about working for him? Where does that fit? Well, there's all these things that I've been looking at. I want to ask you, how is it that we get involved in what the Bible calls dead works? Why do we even do them at all? Well, I think the hint is in the verse. Our conscience gets us involved in dead works. We do things often out of a bad conscience. That somehow we're not at peace. That would say that grace hasn't yet done its thorough work in us. So we do stuff to improve our conscience. That somehow we don't feel much about ourselves, so we do things. And we're doing them to somehow make us feel better about ourselves. What will they think of me? Would you like to help with this? Um, Gosh, what will they think of me if I say no? Yes, of course I will. Perhaps you could help with... um, Yeah, okay. Uh, And we get involved in stuff sometimes because, well, what will they think of me? What will God think of me? 
And we can be doing what I would call conscience work. Because the Bible says your conscience needs to be cleansed from dead works. You can do conscience work. You can get involved in stuff for conscience sake. Now, once that starts happening, beloved, we miss the plot. We start missing the plot seriously in our individual life, our corporate life. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from dead works. Romans 4, 4 and 5 says, To him who does not work, and this is the scandal of the gospel, and perhaps it's the most explicit statement of the scandal of the gospel. To him who doesn't work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, God justifies the, un- yeah, the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Wow. To one who doesn't work, but believes in the God who justifies the ungodly, his faith is regarded as righteousness. Once your faith is engaged, you don't need to get involved in conscience work. Because the blood of Christ has cleansed your conscience. You're free from it. You don't have to do it. You can walk away from it. Now sometimes, as we heard from Jay the other evening, guilt is a very strong and powerful motivation. If you haven't got freed from guilt, you can be into all kinds of problems. I remember, again, as a young pastor in the church I mentioned earlier, we had been, for some years, involved internally, really. We, were, we had prophecies about mending your nets and stuff, and we were involved internally, getting ourselves together properly. I came to a, a free evangelical church as one recently filled with the Spirit, and, and I wanted to turn this church right round and be a Spirit-filled community. And uh, any of you who've been in the church in this country for any time will know that doesn't happen overnight and without a lot of pain and difficulty and joys and breakthroughs and setbacks and so on. So we were in it for probably four years, I would say, from 68 to 72, about, as the tide gradually was coming in and the church was changing and changing and changing. And in the end, yes, God was manifestly and beautifully amongst us. We were by no means perfect, you won't be surprised to hear, but we were through the major battles and enjoying the phenomenon of God's presence and ministering to one another in life, etc. And I felt God said to me, listen, it's time you fellowshiped with the broader body of Christ in town. Lift your head, fellowship with others. So I went to the pastor's fraternal in town, which I'd never attended before, and said, um, you know, thank you, may I come in? Yes, please, welcome. You know, people were very friendly and warm, and I uh, started attending. And within a very short space of time, a guy knocked my door, a complete stranger to me, and said, uh, hello, you're the pastor of the church? I said, yes, I am. He said, and we're so glad you've come into the fraternal. I said, yes, so am I. He said, good. He said, because next week, he said, we go to all the houses in town and put an envelope through the letterbox asking them for their money, and then the following week, uh, we all go around and collect. And so we're so glad you've come in. And I said, uh, um, I don't know that we would want to do that. I thought you said you'd come in to be with all the churches. Oh, well, we, yeah, mm, we'd like to. Well, this is what we all do. What, you mean you just ask the people who don't know Christ for their money? Well, we all do it. Ah, oh, I see. And you said you were coming in? Mm-hmm. He said, we all do it. And then he turned the knife a little more. He said, even the Catholics join in, he said. <laughs> so I'm standing at my front door. Now, happily, my conscience has been cleansed 
from dead works. And so I say, we won't do it. What? No, I'm sorry, we won't do it. And I'm still righteous. It's like I said yesterday about the other subject. No, no, we're righteous as a gift. I don't have to do stuff to somehow be righteous in his sight. Now, my conscience has been cleansed from what I would regard as a dead work. I don't want to do that stuff. I'm no, you see, sometimes we can find it personally. Will you do such and such? Oh, what will they think of me if I don't? Like, will you do the children's work? Kids, oh, I hate them. Oh, of course I'd love to. A dreadful, noisy, smelly, ugh. No, oh, of course, what will they think if I say no? Of course I'd love to. Now next week I've got those jolly kids again. And it's Saturday night. Are you ready for the kids anymore? No, I'm not ready for the beasts. I better get ready. Can't go to bed yet. Oh, no, I can't go to bed yet. I'm ready tomorrow morning. I've got those beastly children again. See, this is a living work? Well, it's what you have to do, isn't it? What will they think of me if I say no? As a pastor, what about if I'd said, oh, I better say, yeah, oh, I'll do it. Even the Catholic, all right, all right. So next Sunday I'm in front of my church. Well, dear friends, we've joined in the churches and next week uh, we're all going out on the doors. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. No. No. And sometimes people come up with bright ideas in your town and say, we're all going to do it. And you think, hmm, I don't know really. I could, is God in this? Well, we're all in it. <laughs> and uh, if you don't come in, well, I guess um, Vineyard will get the reputation of being somewhat exclusive and not joining in. I mean, if you want that reputation. So you, can, you make your decisions, don't you? And so... We can be, we've got to be very careful that our conscience is free. So that we say, no, and I'm still righteous. Hallelujah. So someone says to you, will you do the children's work? No. Hallelujah. <laughs> so perhaps you'd help with the, no, I don't think so. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Glory. Now, it's now all the senior pastors around here like, get that guy off the platform <laughs> immediately. I already have to unlock, put the chairs out, tidy up afterwards. For goodness sake, get him off the platform. No, I'm not finished, you'll be pleased to know. So what, why do we cleanse our conscience? Why do we get freed from dead works? Well, going through the verse, as we shall, shall must, in order that we might serve the living God. Please follow me, because this is ever so important. We get freed from dead works in order that we might serve the living God. Let me remind you just quickly, like kind of machine gun verse, verses one after another, about serving God, okay? We're very familiar with these verses. Titus 2.14, Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. All right, so Christ gave himself, among other things, to have a people with zeal for good works. Right? That's a, a clear Bible verse. Secondly, Matthew 5.16, that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So there's an even greater motivation. We're bringing glory to God. Thirdly, John 9.14, we must work the works of him who sent me. The night is coming when no man can work. In other words, there's a, an urgent note. You know, work while you can. The curtain will fall. It'll be an end. The night is coming when you can't work anymore. So Jesus is talking about works and adding a note of urgency. 
And then finally, in Revelation 22:12, Behold, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Wow, now that is ever so serious. Jesus, the Lord, says at the last chapter of the Bible, one of the last cries from heaven, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me. I want to give to everyone according to what they've believed. No, no, no. According to what they've done. So there is a biblical doctrine of good works which actually will be rewarded. Okay, so we're going to work our way through this. I don't want to get into conscience work that other people put on me. I don't want to do stuff that I just do to try and be accepted. I want to repent from that. I repent from dead works. Works that somehow give me credibility, give me significance, just doing it for the sake of earning some brownie points. I repent from it. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from it. I'm not going to get into it. To what end? Well, so I can sit around till I get to glory. No, no, no. The verse says, in order to serve the living God. So when I say I'm repenting from dead works, I'm clearing the debris of the rubbish that I shouldn't be doing. Because God does want me to serve him. And his reward is with him. To give us to everyone according to what we've done. Actually, we don't often hear about rewards, do we? It's not a biblical doctrine we give a lot of thought to. Especially when you're talking grace, it sounds the exact opposite. That's why you need to read God's lavish grace to work it right through. Okay? It's important. But let me turn you to 1 Corinthians 3. Okay? Please read 1 Corinthians 3, which is perhaps the most uh, explicit teaching about works, I think. Obviously, many of the parables have it. But here, Paul is very, very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just reading uh, from uh, about verse 10. According to the grace which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another is building on it. Each man must be careful how he builds upon it. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3:11. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work if any man's work which he has built on it remains he shall receive a reward if any man's work is burned up he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved yet as through fire as the NIV has as one escaping the flames he himself will be saved just of course because salvation is not by works salvation is by faith as a gift we're not talking about salvation here salvation is is secure Paul makes that clear here we're not talking about salvation he'll be saved just of course but his works are going to be tested by fire to test the quality of them to see what sort of works are being presented to God as our worship our works your works and mine will be assessed by the guy who is described, if I dare put it that way, with eyes of burning fire. He will assess my works. Terry, why did you go to Vineyard Leaders Conference? Why did you go? He will assess the works. He will test it with fire. 
He will assess every one of our works. Why do you play in the band? Why do you plant a church? He will assess our works and rewards will be given. But some will suffer loss. Because they don't stand the inspection of fires. Jesus gave an example, I believe, of eternal judgment. When he went to the temple, it says Jesus sat opposite. And and he said the rich came. And it was almost the sense that they're looking for people to notice their great gift. And, uh, you know, here's another one, here's another one. That's just the way I am, I'm generous. You know, you just... And, and then comes along the little lady with her two coins and she's also not wanting, you know, she's looking but she doesn't want to be seen and then she just slips the two coins in. And it's like Jesus is saying, here is an example of the eternal assessment or judgment that every one of us will have. Let the fire fall. And the fire falls in that story. And it's like, let the smoke rise. Hey, where is that Pharisee's gift? I can't find it. Wood, hay, stubble, gone. Wait a minute. Let the fire fall on this woman's gift. Wow. Gold, silver. Jesus gives us an example what it's going to be like. He will, he will assess. And Paul tells us in the next chapter, if you've still got that open, chapter 4, he gives us some very helpful insight. He says in verse 2, it's very important that stewards are found trustworthy Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. It's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. He said, I'm not really, I don't really care what you, how you assess me, finally and ultimately. In fact, I don't even examine myself. Now that's an extraordinary phrase, I don't examine myself. That's in the same epistle where he's going to say later at the breaking of bread, let every man examine himself. What I would think from that, comparing Scripture with Scripture, is this, that yes, in the breaking of bread, and the coming to God, there is time for self-reflection, but feel, I believe Paul is saying, I am not constantly taking my own spiritual pulse. I'm not constantly saying, oh, how am I today, looking in the mirror? Oh, is that a pip- pot, you know, spot I see, a pimple, what's going on? You know, am I spirit? No, no, I don't even examine myself. I'm not all the time saying, how am I today? But he does go on and say, it doesn't matter what you think, I don't even examine myself. Then comes the real crunch stuff. Verse 4. I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Which sheds light on Romans 7, the best second half, which is very important. We didn't go there. We can't go there. The things I do, I, can't, I don't want to do and all that stuff. What does that mean? You need to understand what that means. But here, Paul is saying, I'm conscious of nothing against myself. I'm Okay. But by this I am not acquitted. In other words, I can think I'm okay, but not be. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Oh, I see, that's where you're going in the end. I don't care what you think. I'm not forever taking my own pulse. I think I'm okay. I may be wrong. Ultimately, it's the Lord who will examine me. Then the crunch verse, verse 5. Therefore, don't go on passing judgment before the time. But wait till the Lord comes, who will both bring to light things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. Wow. 
There's going to come a day when really what you think about me, what the gentleman knocking my front door and said, will you come and do this? In the end, it really doesn't matter what they think. It really doesn't. Ultimately, God is going to bring what's hidden in darkness into the light and disclose the motives of my heart. Then, then, you get praise or you suffer loss. So, Terry, why did you go? Why do you, in India last, why, why do you go? You like international travel? You like getting a reputation? Let's just disclose the motives. The fire, beloved, is going to test the motives. And Paul says, I think I'm okay, but I'm not by this justified. Only God knows. Now that should bring a, something of the fear of God into my life and yours. Now the grace of God has saved me forever. I have his righteousness as a gift. I will stand holy, accepted in the perfect, spotless righteousness of Christ. It's like he's given me a clean sheet. Then he says to me, here's a needle and some gold thread. Embroider onto there the works I've given you to do. And I will reward you for them. Or you will waste your time. Wood, hay, stubble. Yes, you're righteous, accepted forever. But I would love to have rewarded you. I've got things that are specially for you to do. And I want to rush on to that as we press through this teaching. Paul's response is, I, I want to live for God. I want to serve the living God. I repent from dead works. I'm not, I don't want to do stuff that just keeps other people happy. You ought to do it. We're all doing it. Why don't you do it? Someone needs to do it. Oh, right, I'll do it. Hey, it won't work. Because when it comes to the fire test, why did you do it? Well, someone had to do it. What would they think of me if I didn't? Oh, thank you. Smoke, gone. Is that serious? It's gone. It's a waste of time. Life's too short. Life's too short. I don't want to do stuff that God isn't pleased with. So we need a ruthlessness in there. Grace sets me free, beloved, to try and justify myself. It's all over. I'm justified freely as a gift. But now I've got a life to live. We need to be careful about kind of doctrines that rob us of understanding. You get a wrong view of grace, what I call cheap grace. Some people say, oh yeah, we're into grace. That's why we don't bother much. And people think that's what you mean. Oh, we go to the meeting sometimes, you know, hang out, be cool. You know. These legalists, they don't know anything. We're just cool, man. Okay, it's half a message. It certainly isn't what, what the Bible's talking about here. You can sometimes get a theology of what I want to call pseudo-humility, which is not biblical and very unhelpful. Very unhelpful. And yet it, it kind of... It's very acceptable in the body of Christ sometimes. You can say to a, a, a group of musicians after a meeting sometimes, you know, you might say to the keyboard player, hey, well done. That was superb. Thank you so much. And sometimes musicians and others of us are tempted to say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And you feel like saying, it was the Lord? Who played the wrong note? <laughs> Not that I heard any, okay? You say, oh, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. It was the Lord. It wasn't that good. The Lord. Great. <laughs> now, what, what are we doing? We're saying, look, I, please don't, I don't count. I'm just, I'm just an outer skin and, 
Now there's a theology you build on that. When I used to preach in more formal churches, sometimes you'd go into a little prayer room before, and sometimes the deacons would gather around you. I was from a Baptist background, and this would happen. And sometimes you'd hear prayers like this, Oh God, this morning, hide the preacher. We would see Jesus only. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But if you're the preacher, and a friend of mine said, I mean, you hear it often in a certain world. A guy said to me, if they do that again, he said, I'm going to go out to that pulpit. I'm going to say, let us pray. And when they close their eyes, he said, I'm going down. He said, he said let's see how they get on without me. And you can, go, you can go into some wonderful old churches and engraved in the wooden thing around the pulpit. You walk up and you put your Bible and it says here, Sir, we would see Jesus. You think, oh. <laughs> Now, we know what they mean, all right? We know there's a high motive there. But, beloved, it's unhelpful. Or at least if you take it... The, the most recent, and I've heard it a lot in more in my, my sort of circle, maybe your sort of circle, when people say this, and it sounds magnificent, God is looking for a faceless army. <laughs> a faceless army. That sounds wonderful, but it's nonsense. God does not celebrate anonymity. If he did, we preachers, we could tear out those horrible chapters, couldn't we? And he begat and begat and begat, and he worked next to him, and he was a son of, and I can't pronounce any of them. Good. It doesn't matter. They're faceless. Hallelujah. We'll tear those pages out. Right. Don't have to read those anymore. No, the Bible's the exact opposite of that. Where it says in Nehemiah, he built alongside him and he built, and some worked hard and some did not. And God's noting everyone. It's not, oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. It's you, man, what were you doing? <laughs> See, some of us have invented, well, what were you doing with your life? Well, I was lost in Jesus. <laughs> you see, God will say, no, you weren't. What were you up to? I'm going to test your work. Don't say, well, I was just lost in God. It wasn't me. I don't, don't count. It's drain pipes only, blessed master. <laughs> You're a person. And, and, and we come from Hebrew stock, not Greek stock. It's the whole person. And God wants to say, I want to reward you. Now, even the thought of rewards, say, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who uh, gave birth to the Jesuit movement and uh, perhaps was very devoted when he said this famous prayer and gave it to the church. We do these things not looking for any reward, save that of knowing we do thy will. Now, that's a beautiful prayer. It's expressing something of very beautiful devotion. But tragically, it's off-center from a biblical point of view. We do this not looking for any reward. That puts you out of step with the heroes of Hebrews 11, where it says of several of them, they did this looking for the reward. So Ignatius is holier than the Holy Bible. And the danger is it suggests, you know, we're not looking for reward. That's out of place. That's inappropriate. Jesus says at the end of the Bible, one of the last verses of the Bible, I am coming Quickly, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to what they've done. Now, which of us is going to say, oh, now, Jesus, um, just a minute, Lord. It was actually a few centuries ago we saw through that. And, uh, you know, reward, you know, is that right, ethical, looking for reward? I mean, Jesus, I'll just, perhaps we could put you right on this one. 
Anyone going to volunteer to put Jesus right? You know, if one is right and one is wrong, guess who's wrong? Jesus said, I am coming with my reward. I am not going to say to him, I wasn't looking for one. The scripture is full of an Old Testament motif out of slavery into inheritance. The New Testament picks up that theme, inheritance into glory. God wants to reward you. If you invent theology that says, it wasn't me, it was the Lord, I'm faceless, we're not looking for any rewards anyway, you have lost a massive amount of scripture and left the saints who get a glimpse of grace thinking, what's the point, man? I've seen grace. Now, grace makes me thoroughly acceptable. I'm righteous as a gift. But now, now freed from dead religion, going through the motions, conscience work, I can serve the living God with a goal to meeting him face to face. Let me draw to a close then with what does serving the living God look like? The difference between dead works and serving the living God. I want to suggest to you it's hugely different. Though, as I suggested at the very beginning, you can drift from one to the other if you're not careful. Serving the living God. Let me just remind you of verses you know very well. Mark 16, 20. The Lord working with them. Confirming the word. The Lord working with them. That's a living word. That's serving the living God. That's co-laboring with God. That's exciting. That's different to dead religion. Again, 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Working together with God, therefore, Paul says... Just sort of throws in, working with God. Wow. Galatians 2.8. He who effectually worked through Peter to the Jews, Paul says, effectually worked through me to the Gentiles. There's a hint there, doing what you're meant to be doing gets the effectual working of God going in you. We'll come back to that a bit more in a moment. So living works, I want to suggest to you, are works of power. Right? They're works of power. God's power is involved. Conscience work doesn't need power. You just do it. But living works, yeah, God working with us. What a privilege. I believe that's one of the rich uh, parts of your inheritance in Vineyard. What John Wimber called doing the stuff. God working with us. If we've lost that, where are we? So, works of power. Secondly, Works of love, right? Works of love. Love of Christ constrains us, Paul says. As though God was entreating through us. You see, a work of conscience and a work of love, let me illustrate it. Say there's somebody in your church or maybe in your cell, and you think, oh, they're in hospital. Let's say, you know, Jenny's in hospital. And uh, you think, oh, I haven't been to see Jenny yet. And she's out next week. Gosh, and I'm the cell leader, or I'm the pastor, or the pastor's wife. Better get down there. Better go and see Jenny. I ought to. I want to suggest to you, as we understand grace and serving the living God, you just get a little nervous of the phrase ought to. Just let it ring a bell every time. I ought to. Ring. What does that mean, ought to? What am I saying? I ought to. I suggest when, when you get into that sort of thing, think, Lord, should I go and see Jenny? God may say to you, listen, you've got this and this and this and this. You're going to go and see Jenny as well? 
How are you going to get the kids? What about your husband? What about... All right, Lord. Okay, so I don't do it. I don't have to do it. I, I don't have to do it. Or it may be, as you say, Lord, perhaps I ought to go and see Jenny. She comes out next week. It may be God will say to you, yes, actually, I'm very concerned for Jenny. She's never had an operation before. She's very scared. I want to communicate my love. I, I want to go into that. I want to go there. And incidentally, you're not even thinking about Jenny. You haven't even given her a moment's thought in your mind. What you're thinking is, she comes out next week. What will she think of you because you didn't go? Oh, yes, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I wasn't thinking of her. I was thinking of my reputation. What would she think of me? See, when you hear ought to, you must stand back and say, why does God want me to? See, the difference is you go and see Jenny because you feel I ought to, and you rush in, you know, you take the grapes, you go say, how Jenny, how are you getting on? You talk, and she's sitting there thinking, what's not coming through to me here? You start eating the grapes, you know, and she's saying, oh, my grapes are going. And then the bell, ring, oh, ding, oh, I have to leave. What a shame, ring, you have to leave now. God bless you, done it, you know. Or you come in motivated because you've, felt something from God then you go in and and, and say how are you and and there's just a different communication you presence of Jesus comes into that room it's you know the nurse outside sees nothing different it's just you coming in with grapes she feels something different you feel something different the angels celebrate because with the other deal the angels are so bored (laughs) all going up in smoke soon (laughs) waste of time (laughs) We need to say, Lord, help me. Help me. I've heard such beautiful stories. I didn't want to say that. Uh, just hearing one after another on this platform. I want to commend you for these beautiful things. Let's keep working labors of love. Beware the danger of thinking, oh, they're doing that. I guess perhaps we should do that. What will they think? We're not doing any of that. Perhaps we should do that. Why? Well, they're doing it. I want to be on that platform next week, next year. Now be careful. careful. See, God will disclose the motives of our hearts. The things hidden in the dark. Then we get praised or not. Living works express also his will. See, dead works don't get the will of God done. Dead works just keep the machine going. God says about David, I have found David, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's almost like God's dancing around heaven. At last I've found one who do what I want done. He'll do all my will. It says of David at the end of his life, David fell asleep having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. What a testimony. Not he just kept the wheels going. I've met people, you go to church, oh yeah, we've kept the doors of this place open. You think, huh? There's nothing happening. Yeah, we kept the doors open. Now he served the purpose of God in his generation. You see, Jesus, you might say, well, I'd love to serve the purpose of God. I'd love to, how can I glorify God? I'd like to be like Billy Graham. I'd like to be like Catherine Kuhlman. Could, can I not, I'd like to be like them. Jesus said this, I have glorified you on the earth. I have done the work. You 
gave me to do. How do you glorify God? You do the work he gave you to do. Not conscience work, not too much work, not going, must keep going, must keep going. Your dinner's in the oven, dear. I'll be back later. What are we talking about? No, what the work God gave you to do. I have glorified you on the earth. I've done the work you gave me to do. Jesus had appropriate zeal and appropriate freedom to move away from the crowd. The crowd did not dominate his program. Their expectations, even Lazarus' sisters, did not dominate his decision making. He did the works the Father gave him to do. The will of God got done. You get Saul of the Old Testament and the Saul of the New Testament. Saul of the Old Testament, terrible testimony. Towards the end of his life, he says this. This is his summing up. I have played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. That's the old King James. I have erred. I've I've played the fool. That's the end of his life. It's like Shakespeare's Richard II. I have wasted time. Now doth time waste me. What a summing up. Saul of the Old Testament... What a waste that was. I've I've wasted time. Saul of the New Testament. Hey, what a contrast. Called Paul at the end. I have run the race. I have fought the fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me. Hey, he's looking for the reward. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown. But you're looking for the... Yeah, I am looking for the crown. I did it for Jesus. I suffered. I was persecuted. I'm going to pour out my life. I want the reward. Jesus, to be with you, to be in your presence, to pour it out before you. Taking seriously your command. Be glorified in the earth, Lord Jesus. Not saying, oh, I'm into grace. Hallelujah, we're cool. No, no, you don't catch the spirit of the Apostle Paul there. Expressing his will, doing what he wants done. Hallelujah. And finally, expressing his variety. All right? So we're expressing, uh, we're expressing, first of all, the power of God, the love of God, the will of God. And finally, the variety. Why do I say that? 1 Peter 4.10, each has, re- as, on, as each has received a special gift, that makes you utterly unique, in this kaleidoscope of God's amazing skill to choose you individually, as each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold, variegated, could be translated multicolored grace of God. God's given multicolored gifts. Dead works doesn't look for that. Dead works puts you all in the same, you know, we're like bricks, not living stones. We all, someone has to do it, you do it. Okay. No, no, no. Living stones, diverse shapes, extraordinary different gifts. I was amazed by that baby grow story here. You know, a husband and wife open their garage. By the time they finish the school, the council, you think, oh God, if ever there was a, a God thing. I remember John Wimber talking about a motorbike outreach they did. This guy was a biker and he was an evangelist and people got saved. And they said, he moved on. Who else is going to do it? I remember John saying, no, no one else is doing it. He had the anointing. It was his special gift. We're not going to perpetuate it. That was the gift. It ran. Interesting insight. As each has received a special gift. Not that we don't want to become very individualistic. Please don't misread me. I don't want to 
get into our world with its awful individualism. It's as we serve the body. See, my hands have got special gifts. In fact, how, how do you find your gift? I love going to a mature church where you, see, you can see giftedness in place. It's wonderful to see it. Sometimes you can see a little baby. Have you seen little babies? Sometimes you know, when little babies, very young, they're lying on their back and they sometimes recognize their hand. They're lying, they go, oh. <laughs> they don't realize it even belongs to them. You know, oh, oh. <laughs> they don't know what the bits are for. Immature, they don't know what the bits are for. They think knees are for walking on. They think toes are for sucking. <laughs> they don't understand. But there comes a growing maturity. There comes a, well, now I clothe you. I put your clothes on, put your arm through there. Okay, okay. Or then we say, no, your clothes are lying on the bed. Okay, I'll put them on myself. He said, no, I don't want that color. I choose this color. Gradually, I choose what I buy. There's a maturing, a maturing. And what was a hopeless little dependent child can become a phenomenal athlete. And the bits, they know what the bits are for. And you begin to learn, oh, fingers can do up buttons. Very good. And after a while, they find out, hey, feet are for walking on. Oh, wow. And so when I say finding your part, I don't say, right, hand, chop. Go and wait on God. Find what you're here for. Fast and pray. No, hand finds what it's here for by serving the body. Hey, when you do that, you're very helpful. <laughs> Eyes, when you, you see so well. Yes, you're sensitive. It's not that we individualistic say, oh, what's my mystery? No, no, serve the body. And if you love and are loved, people will sometimes say to you, when you do that, oh, God is so with you. We are all blessed. And if you're in a mature body, sometimes you'll hear, when you do that, you blow away the whole meeting. Please don't do it. Because a mature body can handle both. And we learn to grow into something that is wonderful for Jesus. But all kinds of diversity in the body. That's not dead works. That's serving the living God. And bringing him great glory in the earth. Amen. So, beloved, in terms of grace, yeah. Jesus has declared me righteous as a gift. When you woke up this morning, Jesus was your righteousness. Hallelujah. He will be tomorrow morning as well. And right through, he's always going to be my righteousness. I haven't got to prove myself. I'm accepted. Nor do I have to keep on saying, oh, I'm sorry, I did it again. I can't help myself. No, no. We saw yesterday. No, he's actually delivered us from the dominion of sin. We're free. And we learn to walk in that freedom. We learn to fight the fight of faith. Lay hold of the eternal life that was promised to us. Sometimes it's a fight of faith. Oh, I've given into that thing again. No, I'm not going to keep on doing it. I'm believing God. I will win this battle because God says so. It's a fight of faith sometimes. And then thirdly today, works, yeah, let's do them, but not from a bad conscience, not trying to justify my existence, not trying to keep everybody else happy. Someone's got to do it. Okay, I'll do it. No, no, God can't invade that. When you open your garage with faith, what will God do? Or with hope, hey, let's see what God, it's wonderful. What's God got for us? Don't, Go through the routine. Don't say, I don't know why we stick it in the oven. We always do it like this. The reason was years gone. Let's be careful as those of us in...
comparatively young movements, first generation movements. Let's not think, ah, oh, this is old religion that do that. No, no, beware of it. It'll creep up on you. Let's pray. Father, we're so very grateful to you for making such an extraordinarily wonderful salvation available to us. We thank you for delivering us from all our guilt. Lord, though we know there's a fire test coming, we thank you. We know ourselves will be saved. We thank you, Lord. You're not going to reject us. We thank you. We are in Christ, beloved, chosen, glorified, justified, freely. We're so grateful for this massive head start that you've given us, that we are secure in your love. Now, thank you now for this huge privilege and dignity of having works foreordained of God that we should walk in them. I pray for my dear friends here this morning. I pray for every church represented. Pray, Lord Jesus, help us to serve you joyfully with faith and love to make you famous in our generation. Lord, we know our contemporaries are weary of religion. Lord, we also are weary of religion. And we want to give you devotion. We want to give you our hearts and our faith. Holy Spirit, I pray right now. Just stand before the Lord, please. Right now, Lord, we, we just engage with you. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would seal these words in our minds and our hearts. I do pray, Father, for lasting fruit because we gave this hour to think these things through. Holy Spirit, we just ask you, breathe, breathe on the truth. Your word you promised won't return to you void. Let it accomplish. Pray for some to have courage to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. I pray for courage for some to say, look, I'll just help you out for a little while, but I don't think God ever wants me to do this. I don't have faith for it. I pray for others to take seriously the day. One day we stand before you. What am I doing? What, what, what is God going to, what work is he going to test? What, what am I bringing? Holy Spirit. We want to be like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. Help us to find the way in which we're meant to be serving. Lord, move upon us. Bless your dear people. Come, mighty Spirit of God. I pray especially for hearts that are engaging with these truths. Give courage. Give zeal that goes beyond the conference into this year ahead. I pray for fortitude to stand strong. Be strong in the grace. Be strong in grace. Stand secure in grace. Don't throw away your confidence. Be assured of the love of God. Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't go back to the yoke of bondage. <coughs> Holy Spirit, bless us for your glory. Let us glorify you. We pray for our nation and our generation that in city, town and village,
people will have the provocation of seeing people who genuinely know God, who love you, who serve you happily, who are comfortable talking about you. Continue with us and bless us through this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to a message by Terry Virgo, which has been made available to you by kind permission of Vineyard UK.